Before we read, let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would open up the word and unite our hearts with your word today so that we can learn how to pray it so that the cry of David's heart here in the Psalms might become our cry in the times in which we live. Teach us how to pray using the Psalms as we interact with your word today and give us hope and promise and joy even in the midst of it. And I pray, Father God, that your spirit would rest on me to bring your word to your people today through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. David writes here, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. May God bless bless us to us this reading from his holy word. These days can be rather challenging days for people who want to serve Jesus faithfully. If you look around us, we see all around us uh, an increasing animosity toward the Christian faith, uh, as well as an increasing apathy toward the Christian faith. And in many respects, the apathy toward Jesus and toward the things of Christ Uh, is far greater a danger than the animosity toward the faith. Because throughout history, when there's been animosity toward Christians, it has led to the growth and the vitality of the church. But when there has been apathy, it has always led to the decline of the church. I remember Mike Bickle saying quite a number of years ago, he's the director of the International House of Prayer, I remember his definition of revival And revival for him wasn't necessarily where the church was re-energized with the Holy Spirit uh, or where society was transformed, but his basic definition of revival was actually the removal of apathy. Because whenever there's revival, there are people who become increasingly hostile toward Christians and Christianity, including people in the church. And there is, are people who become on fire for Jesus, taking the gospel into the world. And so we look around and we can see ourselves in this environment uh, generally, but also from time to time, we all go through times of personal turbulence. Uh, the last uh, six, seven months for me has been a great time of personal turbulence uh, in ways that I, I'm not fully at liberty to share. Uh, and we have many other people who go through times of personal turbulence. I remember uh, quite a number of years ago when we were in a, a time of deep uh, and intractable conflict here at City Temple uh, that I thought it would never end. And that whole season of our lives here at City Temple lasted about uh, six, seven years where we went through this. And we just, it is kind of wondering, uh, what's going to happen here? 
And I've talked to many people who have had struggles in their relationships or struggles at work or struggles in their church or struggles with their home life uh, that seem to go on and on and on and on. And even now in our society, we are in the midst of this season that seems to have lasted quite a number of years here, a season of struggle. Uh, And even when you look at where some people are with regard to the financial crash of 2008, there are many people who still have not recovered from that market crash. There are many who have made millions and even billions since then, but the majority of people have been fortunate if they've been able to keep their heads above water, let alone not gone back and grown poorer and poorer and poorer. And in the midst of all of this, it's tempting to look at the situation and look at the promises that are there in the Bible, promises of prosperity, promises of shalom, which is health, well-being, promises of salvation, promises that uh, as we sow, so also we shall reap, promises that, that God will reward us, promises of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We look in the Scriptures and we see all these promises and we see many people who seem to be in the midst of these promises experiencing all kinds of blessings that seem to have passed us by. Not remembering that nobody sells books or teachings or DVDs on the basis of, yes, I was a terrible failure, I've been suffering, and it hasn't gotten any better for me. The only way to sell a book in this market, to promote yourself in the marketplace of Christianity or of Christendom, is actually to present yourself as a big success story, papering over the cracks and the problems and the issues that you've had and accentuating the positive things and perhaps uh, uh, expanding them, exaggerating them ever so slightly, not to the extent where you're openly lying about it, but to the extent where it does become a bit of an idealistic distortion of what's going on. And so we see people around us that seem to be blessed when we're struggling. We see uh, people who seem to be apathetic toward Christianity, who seem to even have better lives than we do as Christians. We see the unfulfilled promises of the Bible. We see perhaps promises in our own lives that God has given us that have not been fulfilled. And we have no idea really how to approach the situation or how to approach God because we're afraid that if we acknowledge the reality of our feelings and the reality of our circumstances that somehow that's going to undermine our faith, somehow that's going to take us away from the truth, somehow that's going to expose us as being weak Christians, miserable Christians, faithless Christians, failure Christians. And so we don't know exactly what to do and we don't know how to do it, especially as times grow more and more and more turbulent. And in the midst of that, David prays this prayer. And in so doing, David gives us a model for how we pray, how we engage with God. 
Not for one moment should we fool ourselves into thinking that somehow God doesn't know how we feel. Yet how often is it that we don't really share what we're going through with God? Almost trying to hide it from God like we would hide it from a coworker or a close friend. Yet God knows. And the prayer that David teaches us to pray here, how long, O Lord, how long? There's times in the midst of struggle, in the midst of turbulence, uh, in the midst of wrestling, in the midst of feeling that God is so far away from you that He must have abandoned you. It's times in the depth of these moments when the only prayer that we can really cry out to God from the depth of our being is, How long, O Lord? How long is this going to happen? How long will you delay in sending your spirit again in revival? How long will you make us struggle? How long will I be in these situation, this situation? How long will I be in this circumstance? That's what David teaches us to cry out. He says, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? See, in the midst of his turbulence at this moment, David felt like God was so far away. The man after God's own heart was not encountering God, was not feeling God's closeness, was not feeling loved by God, was not feeling cared for by God. In fact, he was feeling abandoned by God. And out of the depth of his being, he cries out, How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face? How long must my only counsel be in the struggling that I'm experiencing in my soul and have sorrow in my heart? David was looking inside and all he saw was the struggle. All he saw was the darkness. All he saw was the sorrow. And it reminds us that we're in the, when we're in the time of turbulence, when we're in the midst of all of this struggle, that we can easily see nothing but our circumstances. And our circumstances will seem almost universally bleak and dark. We all have a tendency to do this. I remember one time years ago, I'd had a rough year in ministry, and I, I came to give the, the elders uh, an update, uh, kind of a, a State of the Union address in, in American terminology uh, for the year, and this was in an October, and I just talked about all the problems and the struggles and things like that. And, uh, and everybody just kind of stared at me, and there was just like this really intense silence. And then finally, one of the elders, after what seemed like an eternity of silence, one of the elders spoke up and said, well, how about this? And how about this? And how about this? And one after another, after another, after another, he named a person's life who had been changed, a good thing that had happened, a way that the kingdom had been advanced over the course of that year, when all I could see in the depths of my struggle and the turbulence that I was experiencing, all I was seeing was the negative when there were so many beautiful things happening all around us. And so David says, how long is that going to be my circumstance? And how long is the enemy going to triumph over me? How long will Satan have his day? 
How long will those people who actually oppose me seem to thrive while I'm struggling? How long, O Lord, is the cry of our heart in the midst of these turbulent times? Then David goes on, verse 3, he says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes. And this is the key. David is saying, let me see. Let me have revelation. Let me see reality. The problem is, when we're crying out to God in the time of turbulence, how long, O Lord, we often do not see the reality. We do not see what is actually going on. We do not see the future results of what is happening. We only see that limited set of circumstances that surround us. Remember in my last church, we went through a, a great season of turmoil and conflict and struggling, and it was a time of intense spiritual warfare. And we were coming up against a very powerful demonic principality over our region as a church. And we were coming against it and coming against it. And we were having all kinds of struggles. And I was immersed in that time of difficulty and failed to see at first, but eventually saw that while we were going through this difficulty, dealing with this demonic thing, that almost every other church in our area, particularly any evangelical or charismatic church in our area, was suddenly overcoming roadblocks to growth and suddenly experiencing explosive growth. You see, we only saw a little bit of what was happening that was confined to our frame of reference and we had no idea how the warfare we were engaged in was benefiting other people. We don't see these things. When I was in the midst of our conflict here at City Temple about 10 years ago, and it was so dark and so difficult and, and so painful, I had no idea at that day that 10 years later I would have a book and I would have a DVD course that was out there to train up other leaders that came out of the crucible of that time. Now, if God had told me I was going to go through that, I would have said, no way, Jose, I'll stay in the United States. Now, I'm not sure if he'd said anything about this before it happened that I would have been able to endure, but having endured, God brought out the good. And he showed me what the, the outcomes will be. And that's what David is saying here. Father, God... Light up my eyes. Let me see reality. Give me the revelation that I need. Give me the revelation that I'm hungry for. Otherwise, I'm going to just die. I can't endure this unless I have some kind of revelation. Uh, if I don't have some kind of revelation, I might quit. And then my enemy will say, ah, I prevailed over him. Oh, now he's really shaken, and so I've got the best of him. You know, Satan loves to see Christians shaken. Satan loves to see Christians quit. And we often quit right before the breakthrough because all we're seeing is our limited set of circumstances. We're crying out to God in the time of turbulence, but we do not have the revelation. And David is crying out for the revelation. 
Open my eyes. Let me see. Give me revelation so I can interact with this. And then finally, he says this. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So the final thing that David does, he cries out, How long, O Lord, light up my eyes. But then he goes into thanksgiving and praise mode. He remembers the goodness of the Lord. He remembers what the Lord has done. He remembers how the Lord has dealt with him in a bountiful way. He decides to sing to the Lord. That's why we sing. That's why we worship. There's a power in that. He sings to the Lord. He celebrates. He rejoices. And rejoicing comes because of your focus, not because of your circumstances. So he's rejoicing in the Lord because he's focusing on the Lord's goodness. And if David can do this, we can do this even more because we have Jesus Christ who died on the cross and who rose from the dead. We know in the cross of Christ in the empty tomb the goodness of the Lord. We can be confident of the Lord's love for us because when we said, Lord, how much do you love us? He stretched out his arms and said this much. We have this confidence of God's goodness even in the midst of the turbulence. So even though we're crying out, how long, O Lord, we know that our Lord has not abandoned us because He will never leave us or forsake us in His Son, Jesus Christ. And this is the promise we have. So let's pray, how long, O Lord? But let's do it with the desire to have revelation. And let's do it with the choice to have celebration of the goodness of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to cry out in the midst of our turbulence, how long, O Lord, lighten up our eyes and let us celebrate your goodness through Jesus Christ. Amen.